a little slow <laughs> that's um that's i got plenty of nothing by george gershwin which is from uh showboat and it i don't know if you could hear me singing through all that uh it was a little slow and uh but that's the way midi is sometimes um let's see if i can find another another rendition of this on the internet on the internet on the internet that's where we're looking for all this stuff and of course, uh, that was coming to you on my um, on my brand new Macintosh, which has very good sound. If uh, and I'm playing it through some Bose speakers, and then um, and then just recording straight from the speakers onto uh, the audio. Um, let's see. Here's somebody. Some guy named Schillinger, I think, and. If he's got a MIDI here or not, it's taking a minute to load the page. Nope, there's no MIDI there. Okay. Let's see. It's a good song. It's a good song. It's a good song because because it's like the theme song for like basically well it's a good theme song for all of us I mean uh, the lyrics are pretty simple it's I got plenty of nothing and nothing's plenty for me I got no car got no mule I got no misery and uh, folks with plenty of plenty they've got a lock on the door afraid somebody's gonna rob them while they're out a making more what for I got no lock on the door that's no way to be they can steal the rug from the floor that's okay with me cuz the things that are prized like the stars in the skies they're all uh, <laughs> okay they're all free right so I got plenty of nothing, and nothing's plenty for me. I got my gal, I got my song, I got heaven the whole day long, da-da-da-da, etc., etc. Yeah. So anyway, what are you listening to? Well, you're listening to Morning Coffee Notes, and this is Dave Weiner, and it's September 6, 2005, and it's the day after Labor Day in the United States, and uh, it's sort of like back to work, um, 
great summer. Uh, boy, seems like seems like a long, long, long summer, and uh, it feels over now because, well, while it may be hot where you are, I'm in Berkeley, California, and in Cal, in this part of California, at least, uh, uh, by the coast, and we're pretty close to the San Francisco Bay. Um, then you know it's like whatever. It's like 73 degrees outside. Tonight it'll get down into the 50s and it'll be foggy and and it's just like and then but right now it's bright, clear, just crystal, ideal weather, just absolutely beautiful, and uh, just simply couldn't be nicer. And uh, but it doesn't feel hot like the summertime weather that you maybe get in other parts of the country. So it never actually does feel like you know the rest of the country's summer here. Let me just move this up a little bit. Maybe maybe you can hear me a little bit better now. Anyway, so we're, uh, well, you know, and then the last week has been just riveting. Uh, the world really changed on Monday. Um, and uh, when, you know, New Orleans and the Gulf Coast of the United States was hit by hur Hurricane Katrina and the calamity that so many had been predicting for so long, uh, actually happened in a, an American city, a, a very unique American city, New Orleans, uh, was basically taken off the map. Uh, there are still buildings there and uh, there's still a skyline. Uh, there may be something that can be resurrected in the city, but uh, it's it's kind of hard to, to imagine that that's actually going to happen. Uh, maybe it will. It'll be very expensive and it'll never be the same. It was a very original city. I mean, you can imagine other cities, uh, people not, people, first of all, New Orleans is weird because I don't think most of the rest of the country is ever really that aware of New Orleans. It's a, it, it's an American city, um, but, but I don't think that to most people it feels like an American city or it's an anomaly and it just doesn't get much mind share. Um, it's weird because the counties aren't called counties, they're called parishes, um, and their legal system is an anomaly. You can't practice law in Louisiana, and in, I mean, the law degrees in Louisiana aren't, uh, don't prepare you for law in other parts of the country, uh, so the bar exam is different there. Um, uh, on the other hand, everything else is the same. It's got a um, you know, it's got the same medical system. Uh, I went to school in New Orleans at Tulane University. Um, it's, well, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's like very hard to imagine New Orleans not being there. Um, it's, it's hard. I don't think that Tulane University will not be there. I don't see how it cannot be there because it's, it's got an endowment, and it's got alumni, and it's got a staff, it's got faculty. Um, the thing that's in jeopardy is the physical plant, although the reports that I've seen at www.tulane.edu, um, which apparently turned into a blog by, let's see what's there right now, hold on, let's go, www.tulane.edu. Um, well, it's back to... It's not looking like a blog anymore. Isn't that, that's kind of too bad. It still has a message from President Cowan, but but during the worst of the crisis... Oh, they have a blog. It says there's a link here, Tulane blog. I mean, it's one of the remarkable things is that 
There we go. Tulane, they're using WordPress. Uh, not much here. Lots of comments, though. Here's a post. Dear friends of Tulane, with our temporary website up and running, we are providing this space as an online gathering spot for information and answers regarding the return of Tulane after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, actually, it says Hurricane Catherine. Um, and uh, a lot of comments here. I'm a Tulane student. I'm a senior at Tulane, and I just wanted to say how happy am I, I am to see Tulane's website. I know that Tulane will recover from this horrible event. I can't wait to get back to that great university that we all love so much. Uh, a few days ago, before the hurricane, I had uh, lunch with uh, uh, Sandy Wilborn, who um, was uh, also a student at the same time that I was at Tulane. And uh, I, I said to him, you know, Tulane's gotten to be a much better university than it was when I was when we were there. And uh, uh, Sandy wasn't quite so sure that he agreed. <laughs> I, I had been back. The last time I was back in New Orleans so it was in 2000. I almost went back there in January. Um, I had, I remember, like, coming up to the fork in the road and if I'd gone one way I would have gone to the north to Jackson Mississippi and the other route to the south would have taken me down through New Orleans and uh, I decided that I could go to New Orleans later and uh, you know famous last words right I mean isn't that how it always goes uh, let that be a lesson it, there's no time like now because you may not get the chance to go there later uh, Certainly, have had that experience with relatives who've died. You know, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call him next trip, and I'll go down and visit him next trip. Well, there never was a next trip, and there will be one. So, will Tulane come back? My guess is that it will. Uh, will New Orleans come back? Well, I'm not so sure about that. Um, not so sure. New Orleans is a very poor city, and. Uh, um, and it's built in, a, as we found out, a very precarious place. Uh, can New Orleans come back? Uh, well, we've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about the engineering of New Orleans and the geology of New Orleans. A lot more than I knew before. I had a vague, there were stories when I was there um, about uh, sheriffs in different parishes during huge hurricanes blowing the levees on neighboring parishes and uh, and the story of course got passed down with a lot of enhancements and inaccuracies and then in the aftermath of Katrina on NPR I heard the story the real story was about the uh, flood of 1927 and uh, and the um, powers of the bankers of New Orleans did blow up without asking anybody did blow up the levees of some of the adjacent parishes to take the pressure off the city of New Orleans, to take the water pressure off, and to keep the city from flooding. Um, uh, so as early as 1927, this was a big issue. Uh, the city might have gotten destroyed in 1927, but they didn't let it happen. Uh, but they destroyed some other place, and I don't know exactly where that was, but it was interesting to hear that story. In The story that had been handed down to me was inaccurate, but had the basic essence of it. I mean, Louisiana uh, has always been kind of a fucked up place. Um, you know, that's not coming through in the reports. I mean, there's a lot of indignation over um, 
the politics of what happened and there is definitely cause to be indignant i mean come on it was was it racial obviously it was racial obviously and was it economic did economic status determine the likelihood that you would get be one of the people who died in this tragedy absolutely clearly yes uh, is the number going to be outrageously huge? Yes. Is it going to be 10,000? Uh, come on. It's going to be bigger than 10,000. I mean, do the math. Uh, there were several hundred thousand people left behind, in, and uh, the survival rate was not that great. And there will be a lot, a lot of people that died. And uh, that makes all of the finger-pointing and excuses and all the rest of it all that much more uh, reprehensible, hideous, whatever you want to call it. It's time really now for truth to come, for people to really pause when asked a question and really reach in there and try to say what they know to be true. Um, there's this mode of existence that is just, it's deadly. I mean, it's deadly and we all live it. Uh, it's the, I cannot speak any evil about anybody else. I can't say anything bad about anybody. And because nobody's allowed to say anything that's perceived to be bad about anybody, that when somebody actually does say something even mildly critical of somebody, it's just major news. Nobody can even, and you're not allowed to admit that you screwed up. That's just not, although sooner or later, you know, you can push it off, you know, but sooner or later, if it's big enough, you're going to end up admitting that what you did was wrong. Uh, um, the and experience has shown the sooner that you do it, well, why even worry about how easy it's going to be on you when people, so many people are dying? Isn't it just a little bit selfish to be thinking about how you're going to spin what has actually happened? I mean, when does it get to be too much, you know? And when does this attitude of, of varnishing reality, of altering reality to make things look good? Uh, you know, they talk about Bush as they said he was the CEO uh, president. And, you know, what does that conjure up? A lie is what it conjures up for everybody. It's, you know, you have this idea... Uh, that says competence, but it really means the opposite. It means that um, loyalty matters far more than competence. And you now see it. The people that he has chosen to run our country are horribly, horribly incompetent, callous, awful people, just awful. And you can see it in a lot of the journalists, a lot of the on-air personalities, Um and in even some of the newspaper reports. Uh, where you don't see it, though, is the closer you get to the people who can feel the city, the death, the tragedy of this, the closer you get to those people, the less varnished it is, the less able they are to varnish it. And New Orleans was always a little bit better, maybe a lot better than the rest of the country in that regard, that it was more like the third world. And the third world is different from the United States, from the Western world. It's different in that um, 
We tend to feel in the Western world that we're superior to the third world, but we're in many ways not. Uh, as people, I think that many people in the third world live more complete, emotionally complete lives than people in the Western world do. When I say emotionally complete, they learn wisdom of, of, of life in a more in a more accurate way. They're not quite as concerned about things looking good uh, and they're more likely to, I think, are more likely to actually hear what's on somebody's mind. Uh, the, the president of Jefferson Parish, I think his name was Broussard, uh, who broke down in tears. Now, if he wasn't, if those, if that wasn't real emotion, well, that wasn't, I mean, I'm going to believe that it was. And of course, it is completely correct emotion to weep at the tragedy of what happened in, in New Orleans. Weeping is rational. Weeping is is um, is appropriate because, and if you find that you can't weep or you're embarrassed by seeing somebody weep, then uh, you're distant from yourself because inside of you you have the capacity to feel this. It is a human thing to feel this to look at at the tragedy of the of the aftermath of Katrina on a human scale, on a, on a societal scale. This is death on a societal level. This is the erasure of a unique culture. Maybe not. I'll get to that in a minute. Maybe not the erasure of a unique culture. Maybe it's the transformation of a culture. And maybe, maybe it's a positive thing in the end will be something where uh, the good that comes from it is 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 Matt is is perceivable, um, but it's it's been it's been spotty. The 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 humanity in terms of our ability to experience it, life goes on normally in uh, most places. Uh, I would say here in Berkeley, very much normal, very much not affected by what's going on. Uh, uh, a lot of people don't know what's going on in New Orleans. Uh, um, surprisingly, a lot of people don't know. People carry with them opinions about the way this United States works, where where new information is now available that either contradicts their belief or reinforces their belief. But new information nonetheless, and not being incorporated into the way people view the world. And I think that's a tragedy too, that we can experience this. We have the means of communication, and yet the means of communication are either ignored because they're assumed not to carry any actual information, which in normal times is realistic. And in fact, most of the uh, bandwidth is wasted. It's Most of it is on is carrying superficial crap. It's people, uh, um, Oh, what's his name? Hold on, give me a sec. Right, Keith Oberman um, on uh, MSNBC Countdown had an absolutely killer piece last night and well worth watching. It's also uh, available on his blog, which I link to from today's scripting news. I don't know if I've said today's date. It's the 6th of September. 
and he describes, he says that Bush came within a few words of actually getting it right, but was so far off because what he couldn't say. He always talked in the third person. No one could have foreseen this. Well, the correct statement is, I didn't foresee it. Not that no one could have. People could have. It's a lie to say no one could have. It's a lie that almost everybody can see right through. It's a lie now that people care about. Because in normal times, you shrug your shoulders. Well, lying, that's what politicians do. They lie all the time. But now, this is a time when it seems that politicians should rise above the lies. They should be doing something other than lying, other than taking care of themselves. I mean, come on, get real, okay? The correct answer is, I didn't foresee it. However, at times, he says that the the words out of their mouth is all I, he says, I me, <laughs> you know, I am so moved by the tragedy here. I, I can't wait to hang out on Trent Lott's porch and drink a beer. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. That's something to look forward to, George. How about looking forward to a few more thousand people surviving who otherwise wouldn't survive by you making a sacrifice, by you finding some way to give something up that matters to you so that other people could live. This is about people living. This is not about people deciding to approve of what you do. This is about people living or dying. This is about not just people, although, you know, you kind of think that it wouldn't matter what kind of people they are, but let's just add that these are American people that are living or dying. We find that uh, there's a very disturbing way of looking at things that that was present in the the way they talk about Iraq and they talk about how well things are going. They can never say things aren't going well. Even if things aren't going well, they always find a way to say that things are going very well or this isn't really a problem, let's, or let's put this off to the future, let's not talk about this now, we'll deal with this later. Of course, you know that they're saying is that we can't deal with this now because it's, it's a catastrophe now, and we, if, if we deal with this now, there'll be no way to avoid the inevitable conclusion that people are dying because we only care about ourselves. This is what would come out. They think later they can spin it. Later, maybe they can, they can make put the focus on somebody else's fuck up, and that we'll forget that it was their fuck up. Right now, there would be no escaping that it was their fuck up. So they don't want to look now, and they don't want to talk about it. They just want to talk about how sensitive they are, but they aren't sensitive at all. The thing that they are focusing on is how well each of them is doing. They are doing. But the people they never talk about are the individuals who are dying. They don't talk about them. Just the same way they don't talk about the people who are dying in Iraq. And you could say that in a pragmatic way this is going to come back to haunt them, but who cares? Who cares about what happens to them? That's all they care about. Why should we care so much about what happens to them? It's time for us to care about what happens to us. See, they've got played a little trick on us, and they've got us talking about them all the time and thinking about them all the time. Well, if ever there was a point to be made here that this is not about them, it's about us. And us is big. Us is everybody. 
And this, if you want to put the blame, and I wrote about this in a piece, uh, what was the title of the piece? Get it up here. This was yesterday, Monday. Uh, the title was The Age of Cheap Oil and Easy Ignorance is Over. And it's true. If it is, if we're going to survive, well, first of all, we have no choice about, about that. Oil is no longer cheap. Oil will never be cheap again. You might argue that it never was or it hasn't been cheap for a long time. It's just been subsidized or it's been our ignorance that made it, made us believe that it was cheap, but we were paying the price for it no matter what. We were burning up the atmosphere and we were making the temperature go up and we were making the ocean levels go up and we were making storms, probably making storms more intense. And pointed out on Meet the Press that if New Orleans has, its, it's uh, elevation has dropped because what happens is the, it no longer floods, right? And flood drops silt. On the, and makes the land, builds the land. And this is very fine uh, soil, probably isn't even a good word for what it is. The silt is very fine and it compresses and over time, and it also washes away and erodes. And over time, the land gets slower and the flood gets more damaging. And, but it doesn't matter if the land goes down three feet or the oceans go up three feet. The effect is still the same. And the point was made on Meet the Press on Sunday, I forget the guy's name, that today's New Orleans is the future of all coastal cities in the world. That they will all be dealing with this fate. That they will all flood. And there may not be anything that we can do to prevent that from happening. It may be too late to prevent that from happening. But it's not too late for us to start solving problems, for us to start taking responsibility for ourselves. And that's what's waiting to happen. We've all had this feeling, or many of us, maybe we all have had this feeling that there was nothing that we could do, that our vote didn't matter, that it was the choice of the, the lesser of two evils was what our vote meant, that we could choose whether we hate, we could choose to vote against the person that we hate more. One of the things I learned from talking to Republicans is that they don't all like Bush. In fact, many of them don't like Bush. They just didn't like Kerry more. Or they didn't see much difference and they voted their party. But if somebody had said that basically that I'm going to, it wouldn't have mattered. Nobody could have said what I, what I was about to say, but maybe now they can. In the past, no politician could have ever gotten elected by actually saying things that we all know are true but don't want to hear. We don't want to hear that we can't afford to drive everywhere or that we have to drive smaller cars. We, will, we can't afford to drive everywhere. We have to change the way our cities work or the cities will die. And we will die with them like the people of New Orleans. Somebody's got to say that, and we've got to elect somebody who says that. The latter part is the part that we're responsible for. Because if we decide we want that, we will find politicians that are willing to do that. We will find them. They are there. They are us. But if we want to go back to sleep, 
then we're going to wake up again to a nightmare like this. And the journalists are just going to try to blame it on the head of FEMA or the head of Homeland Security, or they're going to try to blame it on the President of the United States, and we're all going to say how much we hate the President of the United States. Many of us will. And we would be right to hate him because he's a despicable person. He's hateable. The things that he says and does are hateable. But that's our whole world. We've built our whole world around people like that. And he is a product of us. When we say we hate him, if we say we hate him, what we're saying is we hate what we've become. So... I think that the silver lining is that this is a chance for us to wake up. We don't necessarily have to lose what is New Orleans. New Orleans is about the joy of living. If At its best, it's about the joy of living. At the worst, it's about corruption and poverty and racism and violence and death. But at its best, it's about good people, great culture, great food, great music. A wonderful way of being. New Orleans has that. New Orleans is a very, very, very special place. And if it's touched you, as it has touched me, then that's something that you don't have to lose. Even if the city itself is something that you can't visit anymore in physical space. It's a place that you can visit in your heart and it's a place that you can tell people about. You can share what New Orleans meant to you with other people and the institutions of New Orleans can prop up in every, maybe every city in the United States should have a French Quarter. Maybe every city in the United States should have crawfish and etouffee and jambalaya and beignets and chicory coffee and and the New Orleans Times-Picayune would be a good paper to read every day, especially if they, if they keep up the way they've been reporting the news. The mayor of New Orleans, I would choose him over Rudy Giuliani any day. I like my truth delivered the way that man delivers the truth. And he says out loud, they're going to kill me for saying this. I think the more times you feel that, the better. The more times you feel that what I'm saying right now is going to get me in a lot of trouble, that's good. Because it's that feeling that when you don't say that stuff, when you don't say the things that are going to get you in trouble, those are the things that you have to say the most. And that's the things, those are the things we need to hear the most. We need to stop being so concerned about hearing things that we don't want to hear. Anyway, so those are some thoughts that I want to leave with myself today. And let's, uh, let's try to make the best out of this situation that we possibly can. Uh, let's make the people of New Orleans that survived this catastrophe, let's make them our heroes. Let's welcome them into our communities. They're mostly very good people. Let's ask them to tell us why they loved New Orleans and ask them to help us bring a little bit of that spirit into the communities, into our communities. We could do a lot worse. 
It's like think of think of the people that are coming into your community as the lanyap from a city that may no longer exist in the physical world. And if you don't know what lanyap is, ask them to tell you. Anyway, that's it for today. It's uh, September 6th, 2005, morning coffee notes. Uh, this is Dave Weiner, and uh, we'll see you again real soon, okay? Take care. Bye.